well, uh, I just uh, have been looking at the uh, films of Ivan Passer as I as I have been teaching Cutter's Way, and uh, I'm trying to I'm go- I'm going to try to dig out some of his uh, more obscure '70s films. Actually, I did a a bunch of kind of comedies, offbeat comedies. Uh, yeah, so that's 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 the direction that things seem to be going in terms of my immediate uh, film archaeology. What about you? Um, well, I was out of town all weekend, as you know. But okay. uh, Ivan Passer, uh, so yeah, he did Cutter's Way that I know you taught. Um, mm-hmm. And I just looked him up. He did some Czech films. Oh, he did Love's of Blonde as an AD. Interesting. Yeah, he was a co-writer as well. He was basically uh, Milos Forman's uh, oh, best yeah. friend. And they they escaped uh, Czechoslovakia together, and uh, at the same like they were in the same car. I think they got, they got out and uh, wound up in the U.S. Uh, they both directed, yeah, they both directed their first uh, first films in the U.S. in '71. So Milos Forman did Taking Off, and uh, Ivan Passer did uh, Born to Win, with which I looked at on the weekend with George Segal and Karen Black. Yeah, yeah, that's weird because uh, I, uh, Milos Forman, um, you know, Fireman's Ball is like one of my favorite movies, my favorite mm-hmm. Czech movies, but, uh, he's a legend. Haven't seen a lot of pas- uh, Pastor's movies except for, uh, Cutter's Way, of course, which I know you finished your class with. So, um, yeah. How'd that go? It's sort of, it was, it was great. I mean, it, it works well as an, as a kind of end of the 70s movie. It's sort mm-hmm. of the final disillusionment of that, uh, kind of, hippie dream i guess and uh yeah but it's so interesting too that i I looked at in 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 the course at the way that uh you know there are a number of european directors who wound up in in new hollywood and seem to so easily Mm -hmm. slip into the culture uh you know i mean there's uh foreman and uh and passer, but there's also people like carol rice who directed of course the gambler and yeah i mean he was he he kind of moved around his whole life because he was born in in Czech, Czechoslovakia. Uh, he was a refugee and lived, grew up in in England and yeah, did the kitchen kind of sink was, dramas. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, he uh, made Saturday Night and Sunday Morning. And yeah. so he's such a he's such a part of documentary and and feature filmmaking in in the sixties. Uh, but then yeah, he turns up and does The Gambler, and it's like there's no question of authenticity when you watch it it doesn't feel like there's any you know overreach in terms of trying to fit into what was you know american at that time and it's uh there was a lot of directors like that who, who yeah. could just sort of yeah and hollywood's always to be honest hollywood's always been very receptive to uh people from all over the world making films there and you know Never oh, really. It's never questioned, yeah. you know, and that's, yeah. you know, the Billy Wilders and people like that. I was just uh, thinking of Bill Wilder yeah. and Lubitsch and, uh, yeah, yeah. A, lot, a lot of pre-war film. I mean, Renoir even, you know, he, he made films. A lot of people have made films in America. Fritz Lang, you know. So, um, well, let me introduce you since we're, we're, sure. we're shooting right out, out of the gates here. So um, it's my pleasure to have uh, Matthew Asprey Gear. Uh, hello, Matthew. Matt. Hi. I call you Matt. Uh, so. Yeah. As it as it happens, we just finished. I well, I missed the final class because I was visiting family, but we just finished a what was a twelve week course on seventies American cinema that you uh, taught. Uh, yeah, 12, 12 weeks. 
I think it's 17 movies, 16, 17 movies in 12 weeks. And flew by. Yeah. It was a, a lot of fun. And I wanted to have, have you on the show. You know, we're, we're a criterion oriented show, but you know, just criterion often has, you know, just a, like a, a fragment of film history. You know, it's not uh, representative of everything, but, um, but generally if you look back at what's sort of the, a lot of the key films, um, for the most part, criterion often has, um, is able to paint a picture of film history with its library, but it's but also it doesn't have everything too. I, I think, as you noted, there were two films on the syllabus that were on Criterion. Is that right? Yeah, Five Easy Pieces and uh, Elaine May's Mikey and Nikki. So we also we did teach uh, we had the Buck and the Preacher in the course, right. the Sydney Portier film, and that's on the Criterion Channel at the moment, but it's not available as a disc from them. So. Yeah, not sure if they have the rights, but uh, but yeah, I, 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 so I put together a, a letterboxed of list of all the um, the films on Criterion from the seventies. You know, more or less, some some were like I, I didn't include um, uh, Chantal Ackerman, even though she technically was mm-hmm. American seventies. I, I just don't think of her that way. Um, but it, I think that's actually kind of a weak point for the label. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of some blind spots there. Uh, but um, but yeah, let, let's talk about your classes. I, I know you. Well, see, first off, to introduce you to everybody, you are a uh, teacher, uh, I guess, professor of, of film studies in uh, Scotland. Is that correct? Yeah. Well, I've been teaching at the uh, Edinburgh College of Art, in, uh, which is part of the University of Edinburgh uh, in contemporary cinema. Uh, I'm really just running seminars there. Um, but yeah, my background is as a as an academic in uh, film studies, media studies. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and and kind of as a historian of, of cinema. Yeah, we talked about how uh, new films you know, you just don't uh, don't watch them much. I I'm also a, a studied film studies, and uh, it's yeah, I just loved every moment of it. Um, would recommend it to anybody if you don't need it for a job. Although it seems like it's worked out for you, Matthew, Matt. Um, but uh, on the side, and, and you teach um, uh, is it modern film? Was it? I'm trying to remember. Yeah, well, you mentioned at, it at once. The, uh, yeah, in Edinburgh I teach. We we have a we have a course called Contemporary Cinema for uh, undergraduates, and it's uh, we pick a bunch of films from the last uh, last ten or fifteen years. It's it's yeah. So mm. that just really, I guess, creates an opportunity for us to uh, jump into all kinds of discussions and explorations of film aesthetics and so on. So. Uh, it's not that I'm I'm not interested in contemporary cinema. I certainly am. Sure. But, uh, <laughs> You know, it's like that line, I think Bob Dylan in his radio show was talking about you know, the reason he played more old songs than new songs. And he said, well, there's just so many more old songs than new songs. <laughs> yeah. And I had the same interviews. Yeah. Yeah. And if you went to a Bob Dylan concert and he just played his last album, you'd be just a, a smidge disappointed. So he has some hits. Uh, but you do a lot more than that. I, I so We'll talk about the classes, but you just... Um, did an audio commentary for Imprints, uh, The Gambler, um, yeah. 1974. Is that your first commentary you, you worked on? Yeah, it is. And uh, it was it was great fun, actually, to uh, – to, I mean, first of all, because to be asked to to do a commentary on a film that I, I really love and admire mm-hmm. was, you know, it would have been interesting if I'd been asked to do a commentary for something I wasn't so keen on. <laughs> um, which uh would be would be fascinating too actually um but uh no i mean the gambler was a film i i swore a long time ago and it always was one of those things that stuck in my head as okay that's really that's really interesting and it's something i need to revisit 
down the track. So, yeah, when I was asked to do the commentary, uh, I not only had to, you know, a really good reason to watch that film over and over again, but uh, also to check out the rest of uh, Carol Rice's filmography. And I wasn't familiar with everything he'd done in, uh, in the 60s. Uh, yeah, so it's great to put that kind of film in context. And um, yeah, so it was, it was great fun, although it kind of felt a bit like, uh, you know, the, doing a commentary for, for that film, a two hour film, you know, is kind of like writing a book in your head yeah. on the fly. And, yeah. uh, you know, a lot of a lot of takes uh, of, of, of all the various chunks. I'm not one of those people who can sit down and you know, just talk for two hours to a movie and it'd be brilliant. Uh, right. You know, so I, I had to uh, do a, do these sections over and over and over again. But uh, but it was great. It was great fun. Yeah. So is there a, a five-hour commentary track somewhere on the cutting room floor? No, no, no. I, I mean, that would have... Uh... Okay. That would have killed me, I think. Uh, but <laughs> yeah. I think there's just like 50 takes of a two-minute segment. That's that's kind uh, of, and, yeah. you know, you, you don't want to be listening to the outtakes. So if you flub it, yeah, you want to want to redo. So, but not not quite like Kubrick. Not not 70 takes. No, not quite. But but no, I, I also just I think about well, what do I want out of out of a commentary, and mm-hmm. uh, you know, what do I want to learn from you know somebody talking about a film? So. I just tried to approach it, approach it that way. Because yeah. I've heard a lot of pretty, pretty mediocre commentaries in my time. So <laughs> I have too. I think we yeah. all have. Some people just, you know, react, and uh, yeah, if you don't, if you don't, don't research and kind of structure it, I think, uh, I think it suffers. So, um, so yeah, that, I, I, I actually ordered the, uh, the imprint uh, Blu-ray. I love the Gambler, but I uh, haven't seen it in a, probably at least five years, maybe longer. I think I actually watched it in film studies class uh, for some reason. I, I forget. And, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, really, really strong film and, um, one of those kind of overlooked seventies films, which is a great transition because we did this, uh, had this American, uh, seventies films course or, or what, what, what did you call it? It's called, uh, seventies Hollywood. Is that what we called it? Seventies Hollywood. A new look yeah. at, a new look at, uh, no, it's actually called America in the seventies, a new look in, at, at new Hollywood, I think. Yeah. So, uh, but, uh, cause it's, it is looking not only at, the films of the period, but trying to look at what was going on in the United States at that time. Yeah. And I think I shared, I'm, I'm a history slash film studies guy that at least, you know, I can have, that's my, my degree. And, uh, so I, I really appreciated like some of that context. Cause even though I watch a lot of films, you know, it's some, it's interesting to put it in the perspective of the times, which I thought you were uh, really good at doing and keeping it grounded. And so, yeah, I, I guess I, I, I might think that because I watched a lot of movies that I might know it all, um, <laughs> be that guy, but I learned a ton. It was really, really a great class. And I missed two of them too, both because I was visiting families. So excuse absences, but, uh, yeah, you're really. No, it's okay. You, you, you still get a pass. It's fine. <laughs> oh, good, good. Yeah. So that, that's a good point. These are online classes and, um, and it's a great concept. You know, it's for people like us that want to watch or, kind of learn more about film kind of the, the type of people that would watch a commentary yeah yeah i've got a list of the films right here and uh you know the best the best part of uh of doing this is i get to choose the movies and yes. uh, <laughs> i get to choose some of my favorites and uh also films i think that will provoke discussion because that's such a big part of of this uh, course you know because i mean i the, the way it kind of works for for your listeners is you know i start the 
session with a kind of lecture presentation, mm-hmm. sort of a slideshow, which I talk I talk about the film and the production history and and kind of like try to connect that to different themes running through 70s film and so on and American history at the time. And, and then we have this discussion of the film of the week that everybody's looked at in their own time. And, uh, yeah, so it's, uh, it's fun. Yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. And, and we, through that discussion, we kind of, um, you know, the, uh, the, 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 the students, we, we kind of bonded. Uh, I, I know you saw the Twitter threads. We all found each other on Twitter and mm-hmm. um, and it, yeah, it's it's fun to to go through that uh, with uh, with a group of fellow like-minded uh, individuals. Um, and before we get into the class, you know, so you've wrote, written is it two books? I know one is on Night yeah. Moves, which I've talked about on the show before. One of my favorite uh, crime cinema uh, uh, from the um, from the seventies, and also or- Orson Welles. So um, of course we're a Criterion show, and uh, Orson Welles is a pretty uh, f- big fixture for the, uh, the the collection. I think. I don't want to say all of his work is on there, but uh, quite a, the vast majority is is on there. So, um, is that the the class you started with? Yeah, well, I mean, this is a relatively recent uh, endeavor for me. I mean, I've been teaching in universities for years, but I, I'd I'd never had the opportunity working in a university to teach a course on Orson Welles. I'd written I've written a book on Orson Welles, and you know, it's a great research passion for me even even as we go on but uh yes yeah, so i thought well if i if i could design uh you know a course a 12-week course about orson wells how would i do it and and then just because of the the covid lockdown and right. uh, so on it, it was like the right time to try this uh, because i think everybody was becoming much more comfortable with meeting online in in groups and so on so uh yeah so i I just decided, well, let's see if, if we have any, uh, interest in, in doing a course in Orson Welles. And, uh, yeah, so I, the first, uh, iteration of it was really successful. We had, uh, I mean, I, I'm deal, I'm, I'm based in the UK, but, mm-hmm. you know, I had to figure out a way, well, you know, how can I offer it to as many people around the world as possible? So I, I was, I run two sessions per week. So one is sort of designed for, U.S. time zone or American time zones. Um, in fact, I've had some South American students too, and, and so it's there's there's a class for that for for people in that part of the world. And then I did another session on another day that was kind of more designed for people in Europe and Africa, hmm. and uh, that kind of works pretty well. Um, and it means I have to sometimes stay up, you know, to strange hours of the night to be available uh when you know it's afternoon in america or something but uh it's fine it's it it works it works really well and uh you know it, it, one of the things that i was able to 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 introduce into the the wells course because i've done a lot of archival research uh in in both the us and europe uh, in wells archives and i've written about that but i really wanted to sort of have uh, i guess the opportunity to share those archival discoveries with uh, people mm-hmm. who wanted to learn about wells because yeah the the thing that i've taken away from that my work in the archives is that yeah i mean orson wells it's we may think we know what he's about and and what his his you know life kind of added up to but then you go into the archives and you realize there's so many projects he was working mm-hmm. on that I mean, there's famous projects he was working on that he never finished, but then there's a lot of un- unknown projects. He was virtually unknown projects 
that he was working on many many screenplays he wrote that were never filmed and so I, I, I really want to talk about those projects, and I do in my book as well, but uh, the, the course was a different forum to kind of discuss that material and hopefully kind of try to slot it into Wells' career and, and his general sort of artistic vision. Yeah, I, I, I love Wells, of course. I, I think what Cinephile doesn't, um, he's, he's a tough uh, artist to consume over a 12-week period, so I'm curious how you did that. One, one day I will take that class. Um, mm, you should. I'd be, be great. Let me ask: Is the immortal story on the syllabus? It is. Yeah, and okay. I mean, I paired that film with. Uh, actually, gave the, the the people in the class a, a reading task because there's a screenplay Wells wrote in the late seventies, uh, based on uh, another uh, other other stories by Isaac Dennison, who wrote the immortal story. Uh, the screenplay is The Dreamers, and uh, so we, we looked at the immortal story, and we also read The Dreamers. Uh, which is really interesting companion companion pieces and yeah so that's the kind of things uh, we do and I also made the choice not to teach his work chronologically uh, in fact the Citizen Kane and Magnificent Amazons are the last week of the course Smart. so everything's sort of out of I mean it's not it's out of chronological sequence so I sort of teach it more thematically and 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 use a kind of in in try to find the connecting threads running throughout his career yeah hmm. well yeah I I really enjoyed the class and um and it's tough to find the bright sides of the pandemic but I, I think one thing is these virtual conversations are you know I think that just Bridging the gap between different geographies is a little easier. So, um, yeah, kind of a good opportunity with uh, with the new technology to do that. Are you going to continue? I know um, we'll talk about your next class here in a second, but are you going to continue to do the Wells class, or are you going to? Yeah, well, I mean, I just finished. I just finished the second for like I've just repeated it, and that's Mm -hmm. just finished. And I will be doing Wells again later in the year. Um, There's already some people who've contacted me and would love to do it and uh yeah you know for me it's i mean i i maybe it sounds crazy because i've seen these some of these films <laughs> a lot of times you know i mean i really lived with some of the films writing the book about him but uh i i always get excited about the chance to watch them all again because i i do go and re-watch all the films again week by week and because uh, i really want them to be fresh in my mind and mm, yeah so it's it's going to happen um later this year i think you probably didn't need to rewatch Night, Night Moves. I think you were probably okay on that one, but, uh, <laughs> but I'm, I'm, it's nice to know that you did it. And, and you actually had a, a star a guest from that, uh, uh, and, and you had a star guest from um, from Wells as well, because we talked about the other side of the wind. So, um, so yeah, it's nice that you can uh, bring a lot into that. So, uh, and you're about to start a new noir course. Uh, first, let me just mention that we're recording this on Memorial Day in, in the U.S., um, May 31st. So I'm thinking the show will go up in the first week of June. Uh, I think you're kicking that off in a couple weeks. Is that right? Yeah. So on June 20, uh, that will be the first week of uh, a new 12-week course I'm doing on classic 40s and 50s film noir. So uh, I think, again, it's like about 17 17 films across uh, 12 weeks. And I'm also including in this noir course a few... uh, stories by noir writers um, because i think the the literary side of noir from that period is 
is and also before that period is 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 another way of kind of understanding what was happening mm-hmm. so yeah that's uh that's starting on 20th of june and i'll be there i can't wait um yeah i think the, the literary aspect you can't really remove from noir i, I know mm-hmm. one class we were talking about voiceovers and how there are often ways to cover but poor editing or poor filmmaking um and it kind of sometimes revelatory and how um how a film is not was not done as well as it could have been, but with noir films it's almost essential because you you need that uh, that narration and um, uh, and yeah the noir is just a a great uh, category uh, really some phenomenal films and I I've seen the syllabus and I, I look forward to revisiting uh, some of those uh, Kane is not on there I, I guess it's would qualify as noir but um, uh, there no but I put Touch of Evil on there so oh you know, right. That's... There is some wells there. Um, yeah. it, Kane, is, Kane is one of those films that, I mean, it's it's not really a noir, but it was so massively influential on noir. And I see a film like The Killers. Mm-hmm. Um, really love The Killers, and that's but it's so Wellsian, so so much like clearly trying to take what Kane had introduced and 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 do it as a as a crime film. So yeah, the 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 toll in cinematography is is almost uh, you know. It's it really is noirish, but yeah, the story story wise, not so much. Of course, he did um, uh, in later. In, of course, as you know, Wells had a pretty challenging career. But uh, what was the, the late, later from Shanghai? Of course, I think it's mm-hmm. that and Touch of Evil are his big noir films. So yeah, so let's uh, talk about the seventies in America. And I I put together a letterboxed um, list with all the films um, that, and as I mentioned. And yeah, so not as many as you would think. Uh, that, that's the one thing we talk about the label, and uh, and we enjoy, mm-hmm. you know, every every release kind of paints a picture about the um, the film, uh, and uh, and and what what went on be, behind the scenes. But um, but it's not always too representative of the actual era. So so I think this, you know, BBS film, the the box set. I don't know, mm-hmm. if, and you're in uh, um, uh, Scotland, so I don't know if you actually purchase criterion products or if you um have access to the well, channel you know uh, the channel is not not available in the uk uh and and criterion in i mean i i grew up in australia i, I spent you know i didn't move to the uk until recent years so criterion was always kind of uh, this sort of legendary thing where i was from because you know we didn't really have these available or i guess you could import them but they would be mm-hmm. you know astronomically expensive but there were um i did see the the bbs box set uh i guess when it was first uh issued on on dvd by criterion i did uh, i think my university library had a copy and i remember exploring that yeah i mean spent a lot of time with that box set uh mm. it's uh yeah, I mean, a really, really important uh, assembly of those films. And, yeah, so uh, I'm very familiar with it, yeah. Yeah, Ravelson, uh, Corman, you know, I think it, it, it's kind of the, the roots of uh, a, a lot of the cinema that we, we talked about. And and a lot of it preceded the 70s, too. You know, Easy Rider kind of set, mm-hmm. the, set the tone for the um, for the for this new Hollywood, uh, uh, I guess, revolution as it was. Um, mm-hmm. I also like the fact the fact about that box set is that they they put together the I mean obviously there's the Easy Rider the five easy pieces mm-hmm. uh, Last Picture Show you know the movies that yeah were really successful and and recognized but then you also get you know 
a safe place and drive his head. <laughs> films which you would not really very likely encounter, you know, on their own maybe. And uh, but that actually shows you that uh, you know BBS was. It kind of paints a more, I guess, uh, complete picture of what they were doing. I mean, not everything kind of necessarily worked or found an audience, but by having all those films together, you uh, you get a better sense of okay, what this particular endeavor was about. So I really like that. I think I wish there were more box sets like that. Yeah, and I'll I'll attest to hundred percent. I would never have watched a safe place if it were not on that box set. And I don't know if that's the positive or negative. I I think it was an interesting experiment, but I, that one was not my favorite. Although Drive, he said, you know, I, I had low expectations, but I I found it to be um, pretty interesting, if not perfect. I, th- I think the, the standouts of that disc, the ones that you mentioned, are um, are definitely iconic films. Um, and uh, and very representative. I think Five Easy Pieces is, is uh, another, uh, and of course Last Picture Show too. You know, you know icons of seventies cinema. Mm-hmm. Um, let me just I, I'm looking through the films here now. One thing I found is that um, a lot of the seventies films on Criterion are documentaries, and we didn't explore that too much. But um, yeah, I kind of think of those as different as from New Hollywood auteur cinema. But um, but there are some notable ones. You know, I think uh, the Pennebaker films. Um, mm-hmm. they're, they're just, Give me shelter. Yeah, yeah, and then like Hearts and Minds, you know, stuff like that. Um, uh, sorry, Give Me Shelter is the Maisels, isn't it? That's sorry. Yeah, sometimes I confuse the two as well. And and I wasn't saying that Hearts and Minds was that was uh, uh, Peter Davis. But I think uh, Hearts yeah. and Minds was a BBS film too. I believe. Am I right? Uh, I think was it. Bert Schneider sure. was involved in producing that. I think he was. Not sure, uh, yeah, and uh, but that's one that uh, we we talked about the Vietnam War. I mean, we kind of have to in um, in the mm. class, and it's uh, so that yeah, but not uh, without um, actually exploring the um, from a documentary perspective, and uh, kind of just looking through the list here. Of course, Kubrick with Barry Lyndon. We didn't talk about Kubrick. Well, we talked about him, but we didn't watch any Kubrick. I guess you'd assume no. most people had seen. His work. Well, it's not it's not so much that is uh, I mean Kubrick made his films in England and uh right. yeah. you know I mean I guess I always kind of find it a little bit strange to characterize something like Clockwork Orange as as New Hollywood because right. yes it's it's produced by Warner Brothers um but it's you know it's a very British subject you know based on a British novel and made in Britain and uh you know, I mean, obviously Kubrick is an important American filmmaker, but uh, I, you know, the thing about the films that I I did focus on, they're not all set in the United States, but they are about Americans mm-hmm. and they're about what's going on in America in some way. So that's the only reason. Not because I don't like Kubrick. In fact, I'm doing <laughs> I'm doing research right now into uh, Anthony Burgess's career and uh, in film. I've done a lot of archival research on Burgess so I'm very interested in how that connects with Kubrick but uh, yeah it just didn't quite fit into the course uh, as I sort of you know I guess the themes I was trying to explore mm-hmm. but uh, you know uh, there's Alan Pacula so um, mm-hmm. I, I want to say we saw something of his uh, not the Parallax View which is a recent uh, Criterion 
but uh, maybe, maybe not. I don't know. There's no pack filler in in the. I mean, I, that's that's again. It's like, well, it should be. I right. know. I agree. I mean, we did did a week on uh, the conversation, and the focus was on that's right the kind of paranoia and Nixon and that whole that whole aesthetic which emerged to explore that paranoia in the Nixon era. Um, but I, I mean, I love those. I love Parallax View and uh, and Clute. I think mm. they're you know, I just love the, I, I love them as films, but I love the way they, I mean, I was, I guess you're going back to the first encounters I had with seventies Hollywood as a kid, you know, I would see films like marathon man on TV and, you know, these films creeped me out so much. I mean, <laughs> not just because they're, I guess there's horrific elements to the film, uh, but, the whole aesthetic, the cinematography, the music, the, you know, and it, it seemed like a particular aesthetic, very different to, you know, I mean, if I looked at horror films in the eighties, it has nothing to do with the aesthetics of, of those earlier films. So, uh, at least that's not how I perceive them at the time. So, um, Pakula, I think was doing that. I mean, he kind of invented to an extent that brand of paranoid, conspiracy thriller so yeah yeah there should be a place for him and we no, need to yeah. maybe ex extend <laughs> it to uh 20 weeks <laughs> <laughs> that yeah that's where I'm, I'm sure um trying to trim down the list of films you want to include for this and noir and even wells probably is is a challenge can't include everything but um but yeah uh, i think for the conversation i think you had uh parallax view as a, like a peripheral um mm -hmm. film that i discussed uh, yeah that's it i definitely discussed it because mm -hmm. um yeah, you know, I mean, like when I, a film is is both a, a topic of conversation, but it's also, you know, it's a, it's like a way into exploring a thread that's running through the seventies. Uh, often, often that's the case. Yeah, and of course, uh, it's I, I don't know if I would call it seventies Hollywood, but Cassavetes comes up a little bit. Uh, mm -hmm. You didn't have a, a film of his in in your. Um, in, on your syllabus, but we looked at Mikey and Nikki, which is was I guess was a Hollywood production with from Elaine mm -hmm. May. Um, I guess technically his work was Hollywood, but you know I, I think he might uh, um, you know resist that uh, categorization. Um, and uh, well, yeah, I mean it's 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 that question too of uh, yeah I wanted to look at studio films, I wanted to look mm -hmm. at Hollywood studio films, and and Casavetes is sort of a little bit too much on the fringes. Um, in that period, uh, it's like, for example, Wanda, a film in the Criterion uh, collection. A great film. Which I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated by Wanda, but, you know, it's, it's basically this very ultra low budget independent film, um, made outside of Hollywood. So it, it's hard to really, it doesn't really fit into the, yeah, into the lineup, unfortunately, but which isn't to say it, it wouldn't be a great thing to study. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it, it came up in that. Um, of course, and of course, um, uh, Altman is a, is a picture of the mm -hmm. '70s. I think, arguably, you might say his uh, his best work was in the '70s, even though he had sort of a renaissance. Uh, well, you know, he really never stopped working, but uh, I think the the quality picked back up in the late '80s. Uh, but mm -hmm. uh, you covered uh, California Split, so even though that's not in the collection, uh, at least it's not yet. Um, it's it, it's been on the channel. So potentially could be, but, uh, but of course, and I like that you picked that one versus Nashville or, um, you know, some of the mm -hmm. more obvious, uh, you know, McCabe, Mrs. Miller, 
just because you know we've we've seen those, and I, I like. Those. Yeah, but yeah. that's right. I mean, I I, I tried not to choose uh, you know The Godfather, Chinatown, right, um, Nashville, because I figure or Taxi Driver. I mean, I figure if you love if you love seventies movies enough to be interested in doing a course on them, you mm-hmm. would have seen those. So but there's a few things in there that are uh, a little bit more prominent but uh, most of them are kind of slightly lesser known 70s films like fat city and mm-hmm. yeah yeah fat night city. Move. yeah th- th- so i think both of those are on uh warner Ar- archive well night moves is mm-hmm. uh, fat city yeah. was on uh, twilight time uh yeah I'm, I'm as you know i'm very much into uh, uh home media and um and it, some john houston as well uh was in the class we did uh what, what was a, oh, oh, we did Fat, Fat City. City. Yeah. Fat City, and, yeah, um, you just mentioned it. Well, Houston, yeah, we we discovered, and I think uh, during the course of during the during the course, uh, Houston just kept coming up. I mean, yeah. he's like the presiding <laughs> presiding figure over seventies Hollywood. I mean, he's not only making really great seventies Hollywood films like Fat City, uh, and he's he's acting in films like Chinatown. And the other side of the wind, which we now can see. Uh, but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, all these younger writers and directors are taking his earlier films and kind of re- revisiting the themes of those. So, I mean, Treasure Sierra Madre is, yep. you know, being kind of riffed on in so many, you know, by Peckinpah and Bring Me the Head of Alfredo Garcia and in Sorcerer. And then, you know, there's all these like pastiche detective films the kind of reaching back to Maltese Falcon so mm-hmm. yeah Houston is this sort of I mean I didn't kind of realize until I was looking at all these uh, again as we were doing it uh, doing the course that oh yeah you know Houston just keeps coming up yeah and uh yeah it's kind of like with a uh, you know French New Wave uh, you know a lot of those the major uh, figures in that movement uh, ignored the filmmakers of the past but ex- with, with the exception of a few that they really cherished, and I'm not going to say that's the equivalent of what happened in the 70s, but um, but yeah, they, they definitely were looking for something new, and actually they were inspired by a lot of uh, foreign cinema. But it's mm-hmm. funny how you know people like Houston and uh, and there, there are others I can't think of any off the top of my head that kept working at a high level, and uh, and Houston actually had some misfires as well. So he, but he has uh, Wise Blood is in the collection, and probably something else. Not positive. Yeah. I love Wise Blood, actually. Um, and he also, in the middle of the decade, he made uh, uh, The Man Who Would Be King, which, you know, is just not a Hollywood film, really. I mean, it's, I don't think it was even financed by uh, the Hollywood studios, but yeah, yeah I mean, he he was just making movies all the time, and, uh, you know, it, it just kept on. And some of them are kind of boring, and then some of them are, <laughs> you know, pretty lazy, and then, then he turns out something great, and yeah. yeah. I guess technically that that was a British film, a British production, wasn't it? Um, uh, the which one was that? Sorry, the man, man who would be king. Yeah. I'd say so. Yeah. Um, I mean, he kept moving around all the time. I mean, some of his films are he made films in Ireland and Mexico. Right. And, yeah. Uh, the, the Dead. Yeah. 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 He, he did. Yeah. Very. Yeah. I'm, I'm I'm glad that he was able to keep working. I think the Dead, dead was his last film. Uh, but yeah, we talked mm-hmm. about Fat City, which is. Um, yeah, and I, I like that you kind of focused on some of the some of the uh, the, the films that were overlooked at the time. I, I, Fat City, I think, you know, compared to some of the other films, did pretty well. Okay, I guess. Uh, 
And then there was one film we talked about, the, oh, oh, Night Moves, uh, that came out um, mm-hmm. uh, the first week of Star Wars, wasn't it? Was that no, a... Night Moves came out uh, right after Jaws, and uh, right, right. the Sor- Sorcerer came out right after right. Star Wars, and and they're both kind of they both kind of flopped. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the case of Night Moves, it was you know it was not a massively budgeted film, so uh, it was a disappointment for the people involved in making it. But you know, whereas Sorcerer was a massive you know twenty yeah. two million dollar production and. You know, did very little business when it was released because, you know, everybody was choosing to go see Star Wars for the third time rather than <laughs> Sorcerer for the first time. Yeah. Yeah, bad luck for both of them because they're both exceptional. But it's funny how how history is a little kinder to, to films. You know, we, we don't look at it from the release window um, lens. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, of course, there were some that you didn't get to cover, and I'm, I'm sure it's not – it's just based on time. Like you said, it's not a, not a 20-week course – and I'm just looking at some of the filmmakers that didn't get mentioned. So Hal Ashby, I think, is a big one, and um, and also Malick too, because we have uh, Badlands yeah. and uh, Days of Heaven, which we discussed previously. So I, I know Malick, you know, made a film for a while. Every I don't know his average gap between films was about a decade, maybe if not more than mm-hmm. than that. Uh, but yeah, those two films, Badlands and Days of Heaven, seem to kind of symbolize some of the better work in Hollywood from the time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I kind of see this course as just, you know, more of a kind of gateway into mm-hmm. more and more 70s Hollywood. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, there's no Michael Cimino. Uh, I wish yeah. there was. But, uh, <laughs> you know, there's <laughs> a limited number of weeks. But we do do people like Peckinpah. Yeah. And... Uh, Scorsese's, uh, I do Alice Doesn't Live Here Anymore because, uh, you know, not the most obvious Scorsese film from that period, but a pretty interesting one, I think. Yeah, yeah. And I, I, as you said, uh, people, everybody's seen uh, Mean Streets and uh, Raging Bull. Well, Raging Bull is technically the 80s, but uh, uh, yeah. Um, and Peckinpah, I, so Peckinpah is, I don't believe he has any, we oh, did, he, uh, he has uh, Straw Dogs in the collection, which... Uh, we did our Alfredo Garcia, which actually just arrived. My copy of the Arrow disc arrived yesterday. So oh, thank, yeah. Thank you. I, you cost me a lot of money, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> Making <laughs> recommendations for international Blu-ray releases, yeah. <laughs> That's, uh, it's an expensive uh, expensive hobby. It but, is. Uh, it's, a nice, it's a nice transfer of Alfredo Garcia. It um, is, yeah. Um, and, of course, Peckinpah is just one of those iconoclasts uh, that fought the... the studio which that's a constant with uh with these auteurs i think ex- with the exception of people like uh you know lucas and spielberg uh i don't know robert zemeckis or someone like that sure yeah so <laughs> yeah no it's uh peck and power was you know really not suited to i guess working within the studio system except in this brief window when it was kind of possible and, and, you know, there was this sort of leeway. Uh, and even then he had huge troubles. But, uh, yeah, I mean, in fact, uh, I guess the interesting thing was Elaine May's, uh, looking at Elaine May's career because, you know, Mikey and Nikki is, uh, you know, you look at it and you may assume you're looking at a, you know, low-budget indie feature you know, it's it's all takes place in one night. It's it's in pretty limited number of locations. Not many actors. So you know, you think maybe this was made for pretty low budget, and uh, no, it was actually a 
really prolonged months and months of shooting and it went way over budget and there was all these kind of uh you know post-production dramas uh you know fighting the studio to have uh her her vision of the film realized and uh yeah so you know peckinpah was not the only one uh mm-hmm. dealing with you know the the studio uh, and having problems uh but uh, yeah, yeah, so and I mentioned Hal Ashby. Uh, you know, he's he's another one of those that continually fought the uh, studio, like Peck and Pa. But what's interesting is like they, somehow they had a, a they they released great films despite uh, the fact that uh, the Hollywood was not always on board or the studios were not always uh, very supportive. Um, yeah, it seems like in that time, I mean, there were a lot of things slipping through the cracks because. The studios, I mean, I don't want to get into the standard history that we've all heard about why, you know, New Hollywood was so great and that. But sure, uh, sure. just looking at how many how many films were released uh, that didn't really, yeah, like you say, didn't make a splash when they were released, you know, didn't necessarily make a profit and, and pretty bold films. Uh, mm-hmm. It seems like there was just less oversight from the studio uh, and a, a willingness to sort of let directors make the films they wanted to. And, uh, you know, I think someone like Altman, if you look at, I mean, he made a lot of films for the seventies, really just back to back film, film, film. And, um, some of them were successful. Some of them were not successful uh, commercially. I mean, and, uh, but I, he seemed to just keep making the movies and maybe by the time, you know, California split came out, he was already halfway through Nashville. So, you know, it was impossible to kind of stop the momentum. <laughs> and, you know, Peckinpah kind of did that for, uh, you know, at least the early 70s. He was just making these films back to back. And, you know, maybe that's the answer. Just keep making the films uh, mm-hmm. and, you know, not don't make one film and then wait for it to fail and then never get another job. You know, right, right. Keep and, working. And that's what, what, yeah, when I look at some of uh, Altman's 70s movies, they don't seem like stuff that the studios would uh, would really embrace. Like Three Women is uh, is a pretty experimental mm-hmm. film, and uh, but and and I don't know if it was successful or not. But uh, yeah, it doesn't seem like something that would get greenlit. And Nashville too. That's that's Nashville is the type of film that I think that you know, it, I think it was successful, but probably if they yeah. had. You know, if some exec had looked at, you know, had gotten the pitch for Nashville, uh, they probably would not have mm-hmm. greenlit it. It just does not sound like a, a movie people would that would resonate with people. But um, of course, a big success critically and I believe commercially. So I, I, yeah, Altman, you can't think of the '70s without him. Uh, mm. but, but there uh, was also, I, I guess, in in the media in that time. I mean, certain people like Altman were talked about. I mean, there was mm-hmm. a. You know, he was the topic of conversation in, you know, mainstream film criticism. And so people who were into movies were interested in what he was going to do next. And I guess even if he wasn't consistently having, you know, commercial successes with every film, although he did have some big commercial successes, uh, from the point of view of the studio, uh, you know, maybe it was a good idea to just let him mm-hmm. make his movies and, you know, yeah, I guess if you know you were you're making five movies and two or three of them were successful, it kind of pays off over the long term. But uh, you know, at a certain point, of course, you know, the studios pulled pulled the plug. But uh, yeah, he seemed to just uh, because he was so central to discussion in the media about film. Uh, I think you know 
who were they to question Oldman in a way? Yeah, and, and also with these films, you know, they they might not have been embraced by the the uh, commercial public, but uh, oftentimes were influential to other filmmakers. I, I think that's probably certainly the case with Peckinpah. Who I think you know operated mm-hmm. sort of under the radar of the studios uh, for the most part. Well, bring me the head of Alfredo Garcia is a great example. Um, I could never see that being greenlit either. If you just uh, okay, it's it's about a decapitated head. Um, <laughs> and a, a road trip with it so um yeah so is this a so the the the, the era of the 70s is was this like a particular mo- uh, film movement that uh you know you embraced when you were studying or how did you um conceive the course well i mean i guess it kind of grew out of my nightmares book i mean i i spent uh a long time researching the making of of, of arthur penn's uh night moves and kind of trying to put it into the context of of 1970s cinema and Arthur Penn and mm-hmm. also I focused a lot on the screenwriter Alan Sharp and you know you just kind of follow the trails backwards to okay looking at all these other Penn films and looking at Alan Sharp so there, I mean Alan Sharp was a screenwriter who worked with all these interesting filmmakers in the early 70s and yeah so i i mean i'd always loved 70s cinema but uh, i kind of went on a deep dive and you know it, it becomes a little bit uh, it just becomes very compelling once you start to follow those you know chains of associations we're going to see that film now i better go <laughs> see that film and yeah so i mean that kind of mapped out the 70s for me in a in a helpful way about you know how i could understand 70s Hollywood and uh, yeah so that kind of led to uh, planning this course and trying to figure out how could I do it in a pretty comprehensive way mm-hmm. but um, but also to focus on yeah on those some of those films which I think uh, you know certainly had their cult fans but maybe hadn't uh, really cracked the the mainstream awareness quite as much as the recognized classics of the 70s. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, I found some uh, discoveries from that as well. Like uh, Ozana's Raid really, really resonated mm-hmm. with me. And, and speaking of, you know, kind of Houston, Aldrich, Aldrich is another one of those filmmakers that uh, had been a journeyman and, and made some good films in the 70s as well. And uh, we, we talked about Apocalypse Now, I think, which is one of the major works of the 70s. Uh, and of course, mm-hmm. uh, Coppola, the godfather and um, conversation, of course, you know, he, which we did talk about. Um so, you know, it, rights are complicated with uh, physical media and streaming media even, so they can't get everything. And in fact, sometimes it's harder to get the the big films. But, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think there's a lot of notable films that aren't in the uh, the collection. Um, we talked about American Graffiti, which I think is probably about as mainstream uh, and success uh, successful as, as they got in the course, if I believe. Uh, mm-hmm. with the exception of maybe um, Apocalypse and Five Easy Pieces. but uh, Yeah, well, I mean, I would say, uh, I mean, you, you mentioned Alzana's Raid, which I, is a Western that, uh, you know, an extremely bleak, pessimistic, revisionist Western um, that could only really have emerged around 1972. It's almost like... You know, a couple of years earlier, it wouldn't have been possible. A couple of years later, it wouldn't have been possible. But uh, mm. that's one. Also, maybe Scarecrow, the uh, Pacino Hackman uh, road movie. Uh, we we have that in the course. Uh, and a, lot of, a lot of Hackman, actually. There is a bit of Hackman, and that's that's my own. 
you know, that's me because, well, first, firstly, because he is in a lot of really important 70s films, uh, but I also Certainly. just love him as a performer. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, so, I mean, I could have included more Heckman. That's the, that's the thing. Well, that's the thing. You um, can't include Jaws, but uh, there's, there are plenty, plenty Hackman to go around. And what's interesting is he really did, uh, you know, he didn't play the same role twice, I, I think. You could argue that some uh, some actors play themselves over and over again. I don't think that's the case no, with that's, Hackman. No, not at all. I mean, we looked at the conversation and then Night Moves and, you know, I mean, such different characters, both named Harry, but uh, <laughs> Hackman, um, yeah, I mean, he, he seems like such a naturalistic actor, but he can do such very different characters. And, and also, you know, we forget maybe that, you know, he's also in Superman in this period and, yeah, you know, yeah. doing, again, a completely different, I mean, it's a comic, a brilliant comic performance, I think. Mm. Um, and he kind of would just move from role to role and uh, he's always so good. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, there's there's a few Hackman films in the in, in the course. And uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the under recognized uh well, one of the, I think I did I mention Buck and the Preacher, the Sidney Poitier film. I think you did. That, that is, was an interesting selection. I, that was one of the few I hadn't seen, which is nice. Um, and and yeah, that, that is in the collection. But I think it was also good to have a uh, you know African American uh, perspective. Yeah, I mean, the, 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 there were African American directors working in Hollywood in that period, but uh, mm-hmm. you know, for the most part, they were making you know what we call black exploitation films now. And, uh, but to Buck and the Preachers is kind of like, a it's as, as, as far as, as far as it's comment on the Western and what it's trying to do. Uh, I found, I mean, it's kind of in a way a sort of re- remake of Shane, that mm, kind of classic yeah. Western story, but, um, about a very specific historical situation with, uh, migrating African-Americans across uh, the U S and, um, yeah, and I think Poitier is, you know, an underrated director, actually, and somebody who, mm-hmm. and Harry Belafonte was a producer as well as co-starring in it. So, yeah, just a, a really interesting thing that people seem to have forgotten that film. Um, and so, yeah, it was great to pair it with something like Lozano's Raid. I mean, it's a really weird pairing, maybe two Westerns <laughs> from 72, but yeah. Um, no, I think, uh, the comp- comparison, between different films can be really productive in terms of discussion as well. And I, I like that you talked about the revisionist Western because he, he, I think of Monty Hellman's, um, uh, mm-hmm. so, even though they're not in the seventies, but they're, you know, of course, Hellman was a, um, important figure for, uh, seventies independent filmmaking. Um, but yeah, I think like the shooting is, uh, one of my, one of my favorite revisionist Westerns, even if it's earlier, a little earlier, earlier. Mm. Well, I kept talking about Tulane Blacktop as well. You did. And, um, you did. Yeah. Is there's I, I I started noticing myself. Uh, you know, I kept bringing back, I kept talking again and again about certain films that are not included in the course, but just were kind of consistently relevant. And yeah, Tulane Blacktop is one of those. Uh, you know, Panic in Needle Park, I mm-hmm. think, is one of those. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, Tulane. I think Vanishing Point too. You know, there's. Mm-hmm. What's interesting about the seventies is there were, you know, it's kind of the, a, a balance between art and um, and genre. So, and what about the noir course? Uh, I, I have a feeling there'll be, there'll be a little more overlap with Criterion and noir because Criterion's done pretty well there. Uh, but any mm-hmm. um, 
any uh, idea what we'll cover there? Uh, yeah, well, we're we're doing uh, again. I mean, choosing the films for this this course, I was like, well, you know, I could pick Double Indemnity and The Big Sleep sure. uh, and so on, but you know, and there are, there are, I didn't I didn't because I I wanted to maybe uh, dive a little bit deeper into that that period and uh although there are films like maltese falcon uh and touch of evil which has become i guess one of those major noir films in in more recent years uh but no i I look at things like sweet smell success which am i correct is in it is yeah oh great movie yeah Uh, some of the best yeah one of my favorites yeah yeah and that's about as uh, dark as you can get, really. I yeah. mean, it's... Uh, <laughs> it's the darkest it's, uh, uh, journalism picture, I think, ever. Yeah, it's uh, it's 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 brilliant. Uh, but uh, looking at films as well, there's a film I really like uh, called uh, The Strange Love of Martha Ivers with uh, also an early... Uh, Bert, uh, not Bert Lancaster, Kirk Douglas film. I think it was mm-hmm. maybe his first feature. Um and uh and barbara stanwick um i look at billy wilder's ace in the hole that's um, on criterion yeah yeah um i i i again i'm really interested in the career of ida lupino who was mm-hmm. really the one of the only female directors working in hollywood at, in that period um and so she she did a film called the hitchhiker uh a really lean noir from the early 50s uh kind of very low budget so that's in there and also we see her as an actress in uh on dangerous ground so yeah uh i also tried to find i, I know you made a special request for something by samuel fuller so oh, yeah of course i went <laughs> i went to. i went with i went with underworld usa because uh i mean i i, I know i love pick up on south street myself i couldn't quite mm-hmm. find a way to squeeze it in but um i think that's probably one people have seen too uh for the most part yeah, I mean, I did actually include Blast of Silence, which I believe is in the Criterion as well. Oh, it is. Yeah, it's a DVD. It's not been upgraded. Yeah. Uh, and Underworld USA, I have a, a fuller uh, Region B set. I think, uh, I want to say it was Indicator, maybe Arrow, I, I forget. Uh, mm-hmm. And I believe that was on there, uh, but, I, but I haven't watched it. So thanks for the uh, excuse to watch it. And I haven't watched uh, Martha Ivers. Well, even though I've watched a number of them, of course, Houston comes up a couple of times. Asphalt Jungle is great. Um and you, you mm-hmm. have to start with Maltese Falcon, I think. Yeah, it's very hard. To, I mean, it, I think was Schrader was the uh, Paul Schrader was the one who supposedly like laid out the chronology. He says, well, you know, it starts with Maltese Falcon and ends mm-hmm. with Touch of Evil, which yeah. is you know two great films, but kind of an arbitrary division. And then so whatever anything released after Touch of Evil is neo noir, but I don't really buy that. Uh, Blast of Silence to me is just pure noir. It's uh, yeah. It's, it's a, a really... weird distinction, yeah. Um, and of yeah. course, we, we talked seventies films. You know, you mentioned Chinatown, Night Moves. You know, mm-hmm. they're very much in the spirit. Of, and of course, uh, The Last Goodbye. Um, even though they're, you know, I, I think maybe seventies might be a better dividing line because they, they, you know, you wouldn't mm-hmm. compare those to Maltese or some of the um, the others. And then there's the French French noir films that uh, that came out that yeah. were very much influenced by by classic Hollywood. Um, yeah, French film noir is its own, uh, you know, great movement. And, uh, you know, I love Rafifi and uh, Touche Pas and Grisby and yeah, uh, all, all the Melville stuff. Uh, yeah, 
So I, I just restricted myself to to Hollywood in the 40s and 50s for mm-hmm. this one because, you know, you, yeah, but you could go, yeah, in, in all sorts of interesting mm-hmm. uh, directions. Yeah, I, I guess if you're if you had 30 weeks to do it, you would cover the French <laughs> ones, you'd cover the, the neo-noirs. I mean, they're still making noir-ish films yeah. uh, today. Uh, it's it's a, a type of film that, uh, I guess a style of film that really hasn't expired. No. I mean, I, I, I'm really passionate about noir and uh, its sort of later manifestations. And it seems like in the 70s what we had was a kind of, uh, you know, you had your kind of retro noir films mm-hmm. like I guess like Farewell, My Lovely, and I mean, to an extent, Chinatown's like that. And, you know, films which really kind of, you know, very overtly are borrowing the iconography of those great 40s noirs. Uh, And then you get these kind of what I consider to be the kind of true neo-noirs, which are the films like uh, the Nickel Ride. There's an obscurity, and yeah, great, great one. And uh, I don't know, Fingers, and you know these kind of really dark '70s movies that you know there's nothing that uh, visually is signaling to you. Oh yeah, this is a kind of a referring to the aesthetics of the '40s. Um, they're ha- they're basically exploring the similar kind of similar kind of story, similar territory. Uh, but they they have to kind of invent a new style of uh, new new aesthetics of of noir. So mm-hmm. I think we kind of see those two approaches to, but they're still both both manifestations of, of the kind of classic noir spirit. Yeah, I'm I'm curious where you'll take this because I I, I think actually noir led to um, some of the '70s films. I, I think De Palma actually was heavily influenced by by noir and uh, but okay. did interesting things with it uh, in, in the '70s and beyond. So yeah, I can't wait. Um, and I think that's probably a, <laughs> uh, <laughs> interesting discussion, but, uh, but yeah, I really enjoyed the course and, uh, and enjoyed getting to know you and, and our fellow classmates and, uh, yeah, we'll do it again and, and I'll hopefully take the noir class or the, uh, Wells class in the, uh, the fall, if that's when you do it. Um, any, any other projects in the works, Matthew, Matt? Uh, well, you know, I'm, I'm still writing, uh, writing books and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, researching things. And I may eventually, I think I will probably write a new Hollywood book, actually. Uh, oh, good. Maybe sort of like evolving from some of the things we've explored, I've explored in the course. But, uh, yeah, so just just continuing to write. And, uh, yeah, I mean, planning a course is, is not that different in a way from planning a book um, mm-hmm. of film, film studies. So... Uh, yeah, it's 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 interesting to see how the the process kind of overlaps. So yeah, that's yeah, what I'm working on. I think we're due for a, a new uh, '70s cinema book. I mean, we have uh, was it Down and Dirty? Was that this kind? Um, and I, well, he did uh, Easy Riders, Raging Bulls. Yeah, oh, I'm sorry, and, yeah, I'm, yeah, different era. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, you know, an entertaining book, uh, but a little salacious. <laughs> yeah, it's focused on the personalities of the uh, of the main players and and their sex lives and and you know, mm-hmm. so it I, I I kind of think there's more room for an exploration of the films themselves and certainly the circumstances of their production, which is you know an area of fascination for me. But yeah, how they connect to what was going on more broadly in the United States in that time, um, which yeah, so. There's always uh, 
you know, room for more, uh, more uh, interpretations and discussions uh, of, of that, the culture of that period. Yeah, we'd we'll, love to read it. And when I think of 70s auteurist, it's not really completely auteurist cinema, but um, it's, it's really kind of unique in, in Hollywood. Uh, maybe you could look at 90s independent film and maybe see some parallels. But, uh, but yeah, they, they gave a lot of uh, young filmmakers a lot of, uh, I guess, um, latitude to, um, to make the films mm-hmm. they wanted. And then they kind of uh, shut that right down and uh, made the films they wanted. Yeah. Uh, towards the end. So yeah, uh, love the class. And I think that's, that's a good discussion. Um, and, uh, so I th- think we can wrap up here. One thing I, I do like to do on the show is we have, uh, this thing, a little segment called piece of flair. And that's just where we talk about something that we've uh, been enjoying. It can be film movies. Um, so is there anything, you know, outside of this conversation that you've, um, you've been looking into? Well, maybe I mentioned in passing earlier, but uh, there's a f- the the film by Ivan Passer, uh, Intimate Lightning, which I I looked at this week. It's a Czech Czech film from the 60s, 65. Hmm. Uh, quite a short feature. It's about 71 minutes uh, long, um, and it seems to be you know on the surface a, a film with very minimal plot. It's about uh, a cello player who goes to this uh, to the house of a of an old friend. He's he's sort of in town to perform with the symphony orchestra. He's kind of a successful cello player, and you know he's going back to this uh, this small town. But uh, it's just this very observational comedy about uh, uh, these musicians. Uh, but it's uh, really really brilliant film. It's just something you can recognize immediately. A master filmmaker at work. And uh, visually, is so strikingly photographed in in black and white. And it was actually the only Czech feature that uh, Passer made. Uh, hmm. it, well, the rest of his films were made uh, outside. But uh, yeah, I mean, I that was my kind of discovery of of late. Yeah, I have not seen that one, uh, but uh, I know that there's a second run. I don't know if you're familiar with that label, but they have a lot of mm-hmm. Czech films, and I, I believe it. Yeah, and came I think out. they do have that one on that label. I, I saw it through the BFI Player, which we have here in UK, nice. uh, which is a the BFI have a streaming service, which is uh, has yeah a lot of really really good stuff on. Love BFI, and and because I, I buy buy a lot of uh, Region B uh, films. I get a lot of uh, adverts for uh, BFI and that streaming service, mm-hmm. and I'm a little jealous. But, but uh, again, we have Criterion Channel, so I probably shouldn't be too jealous. But uh, yeah, for mine, um, well, actually, mine, mine was inspired by this course as well. Uh, it was a major blind spot that I had not seen, uh, which is uh, the Taking of Pelham One Two Three. Sadly, I had seen the remake, and you know, I, <laughs> <laughs> I think the remake is okay, but uh, it does. Doesn't compare to the uh, the original. Um, was it Joseph Sargent? Um, yeah, yeah. I had the. Pl- I, I mentioned to you earlier that I had the pleasure of uh, interviewing Joseph Sargent just before he passed away uh, by telephone, and it wasn't in relation to taking a Pelham One Two Three, but uh, I had to tell him that <laughs> you know this is like. I mean, I kind of think it is a perfect movie. I mean, I can't think of anything that it doesn't do right, and. Uh, it's um, yeah. So how did you how do you feel about this one? Yeah, I, I agree. I, it's it's almost you know as I mentioned, you know, that a lot of these are genre films, adventures, uh, and there's art. There you know 
there there is art at the core, but it's not like uh, you know this is this is a kind of in the vein of the disaster films in a way. Yeah, maybe maybe a little mm-hmm. bit more inspired by those than uh, some of the uh, American cinema. Um, but yeah, it's it's it really is kind of a perfect film. And when I looked at um, Sargent's filmography, like he really didn't do that again. Uh, so I I'm curious why this was so good and why he couldn't. Uh, yeah, uh, well, you have to see uh, you have to see Jaws four, Aaron. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I, I mean, I, my impression of Sargent, I mean, he did a lot of TV movies, he and uh, he did. Uh, he was he was kind of what you know your classic journeyman filmmaker, and uh, you know somebody who worked very consistently for many years, mm-hmm. and uh, you know seemed to be able to rise to the occasion when he had uh, great a great script and. Yeah, otherwise kind of would just, you know, sometimes make pretty unmemorable films. Um, <laughs> and, and that's what kind of why I, sometimes I poke holes in the uh, the auteur theory. I mean, I'm not, I'm not the only one because, as you know, filmmaking is um, – it really is a collaboration. And, uh, yeah, and I think a lot of times when directors have the same crew come back, you know, maybe then it's their vision. And, and of course, people like Malick or Kubrick that are very exacting – but yeah, you can have somebody like uh, Joseph Sargent make a, a near masterpiece and uh, and mm-hmm. then never make a notable movie again. But yeah, I, I, I did enjoy it quite a bit. I mean, it's preposterous. We'll just <laughs> as a lot of seventies, <laughs> including disaster films, are. Uh, but it's it's a, quite a wild ride. Of course, it has great performances. I really liked um, uh, Balsam. His character was really interesting. Oh, yeah. Uh, of course, uh, uh, Matthew, uh, Walter Matthau is, um, you know, kind of the uh, the, the great uh, detective, and he's he's played that character, a variation of that character before. Um, yeah, Robert Robert Shaw wasn't he in it? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And of was... course, it influenced uh, the Reservoir Dogs too, with the whole, um, you know, the mm-hmm. naming of the of the, the criminals. Yeah, no, Tarantino stole his best uh, bits from uh, great <laughs> 70s movies and some bad 70s movies, too. And yeah, um, bad uh, <laughs> uh, 60s movies, too, and good ones as well. Yeah, But uh, no, taking Apollo 1, 2, 3 is it's just like, a, it, you know, to use the metaphor of the train, it's on the tracks and it just rides you down to the end of the line without any stops. I mean, it's mm-hmm. uh, it really is uh, so, so slick. That's that's the thing to say about it, and it captures New York, that grittiness of New York in that period, uh, so well as well. So, and a, a lot of films that we we talked about also did that. And of course, Scorsese filmed a lot in in the seventies, but mm-hmm. um, but yeah, that, that that's what I love about the 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 blending of history and film is that uh, sometimes that's your your only lens into um, how these these places looked. Uh, of course, uh, yeah. Pelham I think was probably shot a lot on studio. Um, I, I don't think they they actually <laughs> did all that with the subway. Um, yeah, I'm not sure how they managed that, uh, but I think there there's if I recall in Universal there was a, a subway set, so um, so I, I want to uh, say that okay. maybe they used that, but uh, but certainly not a real subway. I know in New York now in New York now they have the, uh, the is it the Subway Museum where. Mm-hmm. Hey, you can actually go and see an, like a, a no longer in use subway station, uh, and they do today film a lot of uh, stuff in there. So they've got like a work it's a working subway station that's not in use, and they have all these different model uh, subway trains from throughout history. And so now when we see a, a New York subway in a movie, it's pretty much I think certain to have been shot in in the subway museum. 
<laughs> but uh, I don't know if they were using that back then. And I'm, I'm glad you mentioned that because I was misremembering, uh, mixing up my time in L.A. with my time in New York. But I've been to that museum, and that's exactly what I was thinking. Is that uh, so? I, I just had it on the wrong side of the uh, the continent. But um, but yeah, no, they they did did make, make a lot of films in that uh, kind of an abandoned subway. But I, I don't don't recall when it was. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Although um, at the end of the film, they do thank the city of New York. So um, see, I, it sounds like they. There was a lot of support from the city to um, kind of paint an unflattering uh, portrait of, uh, <laughs> of of the city, but no, I enjoyed it, yeah. and I, 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 it's been on my, my watch list forever. But I probably would not have uh, taken the um, the dive if it hadn't been for your course. So, thank you for that. Okay, that's good to hear. Yeah, no, I I think it's 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 really nice to hear that because. Uh, I think the more '70s stuff you see, the more you want to see, and yep. uh, you want to find another gem. So, yeah, awesome. Well, it's great talking to you, and and we'll be talking again here uh, in a few weeks. But um, uh, any other courses you, you'd like to do in the future um, before we? Well, I mean, yeah, I, I I'd love to do a westerns course. Actually, I think mm. that would be, uh, you know, that's another. Uh, genre that I am fascinated by, and I've dabbled in that in the, the New Hollywood because we talk about some of the revisionist westerns. But uh, yeah, no, I'd love to. Uh, That'd be fun. Do a course on westerns one day. Yeah, yeah, trying to find twelve weeks. <laughs> uh, I, I just, <laughs> yeah, you'd have to cut a lot. Um, I, yeah, I have some suggestions for that course. Uh, but yeah, it's been okay. a great, great pleasure. Uh, so, where can people find you online, uh, or and where can people find the courses? Yeah, sure. Uh, well, I have a website. It's MatthewSBrigier.com, and uh, you can find information out about the uh, the courses there. Uh, I'm on Twitter as well, at MatthewSbrigier. So, uh, yeah, by all means, uh, contact me if you're interested in uh, in taking any of these courses, particularly the Noir one, which is coming up. Yeah, and uh, and I'll put that link in the notes as well, and I'll, we'll share it on our so- social media. So hopefully uh, get a few listeners joining. And I'll, like I said, I'll be there for the Noir uh, not the 70s this time, but I highly recommend it. Um, and, of course, maybe the Wells as well. So, Okay, great, Aaron. Thank you.